everyone. Welcome to the American Constitutionalist. This is Jeff Tokar, your host. And once again, as in every week, right with me is Cliff DeCamp, Lonnie Wilder, and cousin David Gibbs. And we are so thrilled and happy and excited and joyful that you are with us here. And we hope that you will share uh, the link to this podcast with your friends and family. As each week, we've been going through the United States Constitution as a refresher. And we need to do that because very soon we'll be exiting the study, the refresher on the Constitution and moving to the American Resolution. The American Resolution are declarations that we think need to happen in the next term of President Trump and the United States Congress in order to keep America on the right track towards the freedom and liberties we so enjoy. So tonight we are going to be studying the 17th, 18th, 19th and 21st Amendment. We're skipping the 20th. We're going to go to it next week. So right now to kick things off, let's go to Lonnie Wilder and the 17th Amendment. Lonnie. Jeff, well, the Senate uh, shall be composed of two senators from each state elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislatures. And I I would just say that um, when vacancies happen in the representation of any state in the Senate, the executive authority of such state shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies, provided that the legislature of any state may empower the executive thereof to make temporary appointments until the people fill the vacancies by election as the legislature may direct. That's the 17th Amendment. Now, we had the 15th Amendment that was ratified in 1870, and then the 16th Amendment we talked about last week about income tax, and that was ratified in 1913. And now, Cliff, we come to the 17th Amendment, which is also in 1913. So there's this huge gap between 1870 and 1913 on amendments. So we're going to lean on our constitutional expert, who is an attorney, he's practiced for three decades, teaches at university the Constitution. We just have our nickname form. It's our Cliff Notes on the Constitution. So Cliff, Uh, Here we go into the 17th Amendment, and there's a lot of controversy to this amendment. So the 17th Amendment was the second of the amendments that came about as a result of the progressive movement. So the progressive movement was this idea that government can solve problems that people have, and and they were getting away from individuals doing things and being uh, independent or having state legislatures doing things, and they were now wanting to empower the federal government to have more power and this was one of the ways that they did this. So prior to this amendment, the senators were, uh, were basically appointed by the state legislatures. And the whole idea behind that was to allow the state, states to have some representation at the federal government level. And it was through the, the senators that they uh, appointed. And um, the progressive movement basically found that state legislatures, they believed were corrupt that they were uh, people were buying Senate seats. Uh, they weren't really there effectively representing the people. And therefore, they thought that it would be better to have the direct election of senators. And they pushed for 
and ultimately got the 17th Amendment, which basically allowed for the popular election of senators from each state. So, you know, they're, they're staggered so that no two senators from the same state are coming up for election at the same time. And what ends up happening is that, um, you know, on, at any given time, there may be a, a Senate race on the ballot every two years uh, from your state. Not every two years, obviously, because there's only two senators. But um, and the popular election uh, in the state is what then determines who those senators going to be. The filling of vacancies uh, was also something that was kind of new. It was it had not existed in this uh, way before. But what happens in this particular case is if there is a senator that leaves for some reason or dies in office, the, uh, the executive of the state, the governor of the state can appoint someone uh, to that position until the next election comes around, at which point in time that vacancy then is uh, for um, election and someone has to run or multiple people can run for uh, that particular seat. So it's pretty straightforward stuff other than the fact that um, it takes away the state's representation at the federal government level, which is now, uh, in, in most cases, uh, conservatives take a look at that and say, this is not proper. We shouldn't have the uh, direct election of United States senators. They should be appointed by the state legislatures. And in fact, uh, you know, the state should have a seat at the table when it comes to the federal government. And they, therefore, we should go back and put the um, Take, take away the Seventh Amendment, do away with it, repeal it, and go back to the way that it originally was. So, Cliff, can you comment about the um, progressive era, which was roughly that 20-year period, 1900 to 1920, which was, you know, basically a period of political and economic and social reform in, in the country. Seventeenth Amendment, so it helped to eliminate corruption and reduce the influence of political machines by allowing Americans to directly elect U.S. senators. Is that the yeah, that, fuel that, that was provided getting passed? Yeah, the, yes. It, in fact, it, the progressive movement was pretty large across the United States, particularly in the Midwest. And it was a, you know, a push to have uh, more individual involvement in the election or the federal government process. And so that, this was one of those things that they were pushing for, was to have uh, the popular election of senators. In this, at the state level, they were also, well, actually at the state level and also at the federal level, they were also push, pushing some other things like referendums and recall elections and things like that, which in some cases have uh, were then instituted in the various states. So states that previously didn't have recalls elections uh, suddenly started to uh, pass those laws and put them in place, sometimes amend their own constitutions to allow for that and referendums where you would put uh, some piece of legislation out for the uh, electorate to vote on, those things also became common in a lot of states as well. So this progressive movement was the idea of giving government more power. Federal government in the case of you know, the 17th Amendment, uh, but in addition to that, in you know, some of these other movements also, the referendum recalls at the state level were also to give power to government, but it was the state government in those cases. So, it, you know, it's part of a movement that took place, like you indicated, like 20, 30 years. We're kind of going through some of that again today, where there's this idea of, uh, you know, that everyone should be 
elected directly by popular vote, you know, do away with the electoral college. Um, that's kind of the progressive movement today uh, in order to have just the whoever gets the majority of the votes for president of the United States then becomes president irrespective of the electoral college. Hopefully that does not come to pass. And I think that's the problem we can see from the time of this early progressive movement to today. That is what's destroying America. And it's not that we are for progression and growth and new ideas in this country, but it's progressivism that is used to seek money and power and influence and control over the citizens of the United States. And during this time we've been going through the Constitution, we've been looking at the original intent of the Constitution. And the original intent was that the federal government and the Constitution would be a framework by which the states could operate and the citizens could have maximum freedom and liberty. Remember, the first 10 amendments are, are inalienable rights, are rights given to us by God, and they are a prohibition on government. And since that time, that thirst for money, that thirst for power, we see progressivism moving down the road and trying to take control of America. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the, to the American resolution. And one thing we need to realize, Cliff, when we talk about original intent, the way the Constitution was set up, and you've already briefly touched on this, is the people elect a president. It actually comes through the Electoral College and the votes in the states. The House of Representatives was to be elected by the people and represent the people, and the Senate was the voice of the states. And because of that progressivism, because of that power grab, we've lost that, and I think that's caused great damage throughout the history of America. One other thing I wanted to point out for you is that one of the things that's occurred as a result of this popular election of senators is the senators no longer really have any sort of tie to the state legislatures and to, the, to state government as a result of this popular election by the people within the state. And so state, you know, states have sent these senators to, um, uh, to the United States Congress, and often what they're getting is uh, people that are willing to sit in, under advice and consent and allow Supreme Court justices and the other judges to be appointed who basically rubber stamp making the federal government larger and larger because they don't have those state legislature uh, telling them to hold back. You know, don't let these people put more power in Washington. Keep it here in our state capitals. No, that's not what they do. Now they just give, you know, the, the power to the federal government. There's no pulling back of that power, keeping that power in the states. They're just all too willing to give it up to uh, the federal government. And one of the ways they do that is through the idea of advising consent when it comes to approving uh, Supreme Court appointments and, and other court appointments at lower courts, uh, et cetera. And even just the legislation that they passed, uh, that they pass, it's not geared to, to keeping the power in the states. It's geared to giving the federal government more power. Can you say hello <clears throat> lobbyists? Because lobbyists have a lot to do with the corruption in Washington, D.C. And one of the things that we are big proponents of is a smaller federal government, a smaller umbrella, like the original intent of the Constitution, more power to the states, local communities, and individual citizens.
let's progress on and go to the 18th Amendment. And you're going to see why we think some amendments can be repealed and are repealed uh, as we move up uh, through history from the 18th Amendment. But Lonnie, there's three sections to this amendment. Section two and three kind of go together. Cliff may have something to say about it, but uh, pretty much gives Congress the power to change things when they want to. So why don't you take us through section one of the 18th Amendment, sir? All right, Jeff. Well, the 18th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution established the prohibition of alcohol in the U.S. The, the amendment was proposed by Congress on December 18, 1917, and was ratified by the requisite number of states on January 16, 1919. So section one, after one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors within the importation thereof into or the exportation thereof from the United States and all territories subject to the jurisdiction thereof for beverage purposes is hereby prohibited. That's section one. And that's the original intent. That's how it was written. So Cliff, here's where we talk about where well, we have the 18th Amendment and that is uh, going to be repealed by the 21st on December 5th, 1933. Yes, the, uh, the 18th Amendment was also uh, the result of the progressive movement as well, and also its uh, conjunction with the temperance movement within the United States. So those were both, uh, you know, forces that were out there uh, wanting to have this prohibition against alcohol. And so uh, fortunately or unfortunately, they got this passed uh, during that progressive movement. And for a period of time, we were not able to... Uh, manufacture or sell, or for that matter, consume uh, alcoholic beverages. In section two, uh, it allows the uh, state government and the federal government both to enforce this. So it's not, it wasn't just strictly a federal statute that the federal government could enforce. They also were basically saying the states had to enforce it as well. And, uh, you know, and part of the reason for that was that there was a lot of states that were along the border with Canada Canada didn't have prohibition, and so there were a lot of states that were kind of willing to turn a blind eye uh, to allow bootleggers to bring in uh, alcohol from Canada in particular. In fact, uh, you know, when, uh, when the winters would be severe in Ohio, Lake Erie would freeze over, and they would actually drive trucks from Pelee Island, which is in Canada, across to Kelly's Island and to the northern coast of Ohio to bring in bootleg uh, alcohol from Canada. And um, there are, there's a section between Pelee Island and Kelly Island where there are Model T trucks at the bottom of the lake uh, <laughs> where, the, where they've gone through the ice because they, they happened to, the ice wouldn't hold them. And so therefore these trucks would, and people got, you know, died as a result of that as well, you know, drowned uh, in Lake Erie during that period of time. But, yeah, that's one of those interesting stories about uh, prohibition in the state of Ohio. So those were the original ice truckers. Yes. And, and, and had it not been for prohibition, we might not have NASCAR. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Hey, how's everybody doing? Cousin Dave, how are you? I was waiting for you to chime in. This is for the old folks. I saw you finally set down your Jackie Gleason coffee mug since we're talking about prohibition and wanted to chime in. How's it going, buddy? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm actually very interested in this, uh, the 18th Amendment. Is it true, okay, that they voted for this, when they voted for it, that they were drunk as a skunk, 
And the next day they were all yelling. We, and then the next day they were all yelling, did we pass what? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. Okay. So, but I do have to ask one more question though, by well, this whole you know, thing is that, so they were then stone cold sober, you know, sober as a bunch of deacons when they, when they actually pass the 19th amendment, giving the women the right to vote. Right. Well, we certainly <laughs> hope so. <laughs> oh my, only from cousin Dave. With that segue, I don't think there's a whole lot more to say except for, you know, the 21st Amendment. It repeals that. And that comes about, as I already said, December 5th, 1933. And everybody had a very Merry Christmas and a super happy New Year that year uh, after <laughs> that passed back. So, uh, Lonnie, how much can you tell us about the 19th Amendment? Well, it's um, pretty brief. The right of citizens of the U.S. to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Cliff, we come down through history now where we have voting. We had the issue with slaves where only count as three-fifths of a male, and then all males can vote, and uh, we progress. And you mentioned before, uh, in some states, women were actually allowed to vote even before this passed. But now here we get to the point where women are allowed to vote. Yes, uh, so one of the things to keep in mind about this one, while it's relatively short, it touches on both the federal government and the state government. So it's federal elections and state elections are, are all wrapped up into this particular amendment. And basically it allows women to vote uh, for the first time on a national level and then also uh, throughout all the states. So they had to uh, modify their statutes as well. So uh, it's a you know constitutional amendment that kind of did what was starting to be done on a state by state basis. There was uh, suffer women's suffrage in uh, uh, earlier times prior to the passage of the Constitution. In some of the colonies, women were permitted to uh, to actually vote in some types uh, some types of elections, uh, local elections particularly. But this then gave them the, this universal right to be able to vote in all elections. And this is where we can see from the original intent of the Constitution how we grow with common sense. We're not talking about radical progressivism. We're talking about things that are common sense. And uh, that's where America is unique. That is where America is exceptional. And those are the kind of things that we want to see more of in our future instead of these radical ideas that try to take a power grab, a money grab, and try to reign and lord and control the citizens of this great country. We need to free the citizens of this country. And I am proud American, America is exceptional because America is a leader in the world in freedom and in industry and in, in health and in so many other ways. We need to free that up and get government out of the way of the people so that America can continue to grow and be a great republic. All right, Cliff, as we wind down now, we kind of mentioned it already, but we get to the 21st Amendment. Yeah, the 21st Amendment was a repeal of prohibition. So it repealed uh, the 18th Amendment. So the 18th Amendment was ratified in 1919, and the 21st Amendment repeals it in 1933. So the temperance movement has kind of died out uh, as a result of pro prohibition, and the progressive movement is starting to wane um, and therefore people were saying, you know, we want our alcoholic uh, beverages back. And so there was a movement to repeal uh, the 18th amendment. And that was done via the 21st amendment, which just basically 
put back into place what previously had existed. So it's like, time out, we made a mistake, and we're going to take it back to the way that it was. I did a couple other things just to keep in mind here that, uh, you know, technically there was some benefits from the fact that uh, alcohol was, uh, you know, banned back in, in 1919. There were some benefits to that. But one of the things that had happened is that there was this big black market and organized crime was starting uh, to take hold in, in cities and parts of the United States. And, you know, the whole idea behind it was wipe out. This is one way of wiping out organized crime, or at least part of organized crime, was to make it legal again, and that therefore they would not benefit from the black market uh, sale of alcoholic beverages. The foreign relations featured this also in the fact that up to that point, Americans were drinking Canada Dry. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken a, a good look at the 17th, 18th, 19th, and 21st Amendment, and usually I'm on these other amendments that are short, and I, I say, how could we get a lot out of these? There's not much here, and Cliff just opens up this encyclopedia of stuff, and then tonight we have these simple ones, and it's just down and dirty, so it made it all relevant and easily understandable for us. We appreciate you being a part of the American Constitutionalist, and we need you every week. We need you to spread the word so people will begin to join us as we are coming to the closing weeks. Next week, we'll go to the 20th Amendment and hop to the 22nd and on from there. And then we get to the American Resolution. Folks, we have to stand up. Our Constitution is under attack. Whether you believe it or not, the freedom of America is under attack. And this next election is very critical for the future of those freedoms. Because remember... Liberty and freedom lost in the United States of America is liberty and freedom that will be lost in the world forever. And here, we believe that we want to stay one nation under God, indivisible with liberty, justice, and freedom for all. I want to thank Cliff DeCamp, Lonnie Wilder, and Cousin David Gibbs for being with us. This is Jeff Tokar at the American Constitutionalist reminding you that we still believe in God America and freedom.